Our scripture reading this evening comes from Genesis 49. Genesis 49. And uh, we've been going through the past couple weeks, we've been going through this series on Genesis 49, looking at uh, the story of Jacob and his 12 sons. And when we, uh, when we come to understand what it means that uh, we become a part of God's family when we're baptized. It, it means that when we look at these stories and when we look back at, at these figures in, in history, um, it's kind of like looking at our family album um, and, and hearing the stories of our, our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. And, and that's uh, sort, sort of what uh, this is like. What, that's sort of what we're doing here. Um, and so we talked, uh, Pastor Carl talked last time about Reuben, um, and then this, uh, this Sunday we're going to talk about Simeon and Levi in, in verses 5 through 7. And it's kind of interesting because, um, you know, this section is titled, Jacob Blesses His Sons, uh, but these first three sons don't seem so much like blessings. Um, they, and and there, there's a, a reason for that. Um, the The and, and it's an important thing for covenant history because um, these three sons have all done things that have caused them to forfeit uh, their uh, birthright, in a sense. Um, and so the, the idea in Scripture is that the firstborn carries on uh, the covenant. The firstborn is the one who carries the covenant promise of God. Um, but Reuben sort of forfeits that uh, privilege and responsibility by defiling his father's bed, and Simeon and Levi um, forfeit that responsibility by, uh, by their wrath and their anger. And so the covenant responsibilities fall to Judah. And that makes sense later in the Bible as to why uh, King David comes from the tribe of Judah and why eventually Jesus, the Messiah, comes from the tribe of Judah. It's because Judah, um, Judah carries the, the responsibility and the privilege of the covenant. Um, I don't know if I talk about that later in my sermon. I'm just sort of talking now. So let's pray, um, and then we'll read um, verses 5 through 7 of Genesis 49, and then after that, we're going to read um, Genesis 34 so that we have a little bit of a context of uh, why, why Jacob says these things to Simeon and Levi. Um, let's come before God in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for the great stories that are told in Scripture. We thank you for the way that they teach us about what it means to follow you, for the way that they reveal to us the, um, the dangers um, as well as the blessings uh, that may face us in life. Lord, we pray that as we read what uh, might be a difficult text, that you would send your Holy Spirit to us so that we may draw from this a true teaching about what it means that you are our God and that we are your people. We pray that through the example of Simeon and Levi, you would, uh, you would convict us of our sins um, and assure us of your forgiveness in Christ. We pray all of these things in his name. Amen. Genesis 49, verses 5 through 7. These are Jacob's words to his sons. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly. For they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. 
Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. And then if you'll turn to Genesis 34, a few pages earlier. This is the story of uh, Simeon and Levi's violence that Jacob condemns. Genesis 34, and we'll read the whole chapter. It's long, but the, but the sermon's not that long, so it's okay. <laughs> now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, the daughter Leah had borne to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. When Shechem, son of Hamor, the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her, he took her and violated her. His heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father Hamor, get me this girl as my wife. When Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with his livestock, so he kept quiet about it until they came home. Then Shechem's father Hamor went out to talk with Jacob. Now Jacob's son had, his sons had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what, was hap what had happened. They were filled with grief and fury because Shechem had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. But Hamor said to them, My son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it, trade in it, and acquire property in it. Then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like, and I'll pay whatever you ask me. Only give me the girl as my wife. Because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully, as they spoke to Shechem and his father Hamor. They said to them, We can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We will give our consent to you on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. Their proposal seemed good to Hamor and his son Shechem. The young man, who was most honored of all his father's household, lost no time in doing what they said because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to the gate of their city to speak with their fellow townsmen. These men are friendly toward us, they said. Let them live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters and they can marry ours. But the men will consent to live with us as one people only on the condition that our males be circumcised as they themselves are. Won't their livestock, their property, and all their other animals become ours? So let us give our consent to them, and they will settle among us. All the men who went out of the city gate agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male in the city was circumcised. Three days later, while all of them were still in pain, Two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords 
and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks and herds and donkeys and everything else of theirs in the city and out in the fields. They carried off all their wealth and all their women and children, taking as plunder everything in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me a stench to the Canaanites and Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number, and if they join forces and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they replied, Should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? And with that question, the story ends. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, what we have just read is a chilling account of the spiral of violence that so often plagues our world. An eye for an eye was the principle laid down in Old Testament law, and here we see why that was a gracious and necessary restriction on the wild rages of vengeance that can rule the human heart. Here in Genesis 34, we read of a terrible account of sin. Where the prince Shechem defiled Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and the sister of Simeon and Levi, and in response, the two brothers trick the Shechemites into marking every male in their borders with the sign of the covenant of God, and then kill them. Out of their wrath and anger against what had been done to their sister, Simeon and Levi slaughtered a whole city. And in doing so, they put the whole family's covenant relationship with God in jeopardy since they were now in danger of being wiped out by the neighboring tribes. To be sure, the sin committed by Shechem against Dinah was evil, but their response, using the sign of the covenant of God to deceive and to murder a whole city full of people, was not justified by the wrong that had been done to their sister. Imagine for a moment, and I know this is a stretch, but just imagine that the city of Kitchener agreed to pardon the crimes of all criminals if they would just be baptized and become Christians. Not only would they pardon their crimes, but they would become a part of the people of God, washed and marked by God, assured the promises of his covenant, becoming a part of his covenant community. And then imagine that they took all of these prisoners down to the Grand River and drowned them. It wouldn't just be a crime against the poor prisoners who had been tricked and murdered. It would be a crime against the covenant promises of God. It would defile the sacrament of baptism. But that's exactly what Simeon and Levi have done. They've taken the promises of God, they've taken the sign of the covenant, and they've used it to deceive and to murder. They've used the things of God for their own wicked purpose. They've twisted the promises of God to satisfy their own wrath and justify their own vengeance. And in doing so, they've profaned the sign of the covenant and destroyed the image of God in others. 
The story of Simeon and Levi's violence and deception reminds me of another story, a much earlier story of someone distorting the promises of God and using them to deceive and to bring death into the world. Earlier in the book of Genesis, in chapter 3, we read the story of humanity's fall into sin. God had placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and in the middle of the garden, he had placed two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like circumcision for the Jews, like baptism and the Lord's Supper for us, these two trees were signs of God's covenant with humankind. God had given Adam and Eve the fruit of every tree to eat, but told them that if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. But the serpent, Satan, twisted the words of God. He asked Eve, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And when she corrects him, telling him that God told them they could eat from any tree in the garden, but if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would die. Satan says, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so Adam and Eve ate the fruit because Satan tricked them into thinking that they would be like God. Satan used the signs of God's promises to further his deception. And so death came into the world. And humankind was cut off from God. This spiral of violence that we see here in Genesis 34 is something that's recorded throughout the Bible. And it's something that still affects us today. We see this all over the world. You kill my brother, I kill your family. You kill my family, I bomb your village. You bomb my village, I invade your nation. The spiral never ends. In the 2007 film, The Kingdom, an FBI bomb squad investigates a terrorist attack on an American military compound in Saudi Arabia. The FBI agents are there illegally because one of their friends, a fellow FBI agent, has been killed in this recent bombing, and they want to get to the bottom of this and get vengeance. And they uncover a whole network of bomb makers and take the whole network down. And throughout the movie, it's violent. The whole movie is violent. But the film ends with a very chilling scene. In a flashback to the beginning of the movie, one of the FBI agents whispers to another, we'll kill them all. And then the scene cuts to an Arab boy whose father has just been killed in the raid. And he comforts his mourning mother with the same words. Don't worry, we'll kill them all. This is the cycle of sin and death that dominates our world history. The same sentiment that was alive in Simeon and Levi after the crimes committed against their sister Dinah sits in the hearts of people around the world. And it was the same cycle of violence that led to the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When the Pharisees and chief priests saw that Jesus was no prophet to them, they knowingly condemned an innocent man to death, nailing him to the cross, where he hung as a testament to the curse of violence that has plagued this world 
since the fall of humankind into sin. And it's this anger and violence that Jacob condemns. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly. For they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. And then Jacob's solution to the problem. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. Jacob breaks the cycle of violence by taking away their inheritance, taking away their possessions, and scattering them through the nation of Israel. This is their punishment, the punishment of not having any land, the punishment of not receiving an inheritance. Simeon and Levi will be tribes without land, sons without an inheritance, dependent on the grace and the favor of their more privileged brothers. This certainly seems like more of a curse than a blessing. Simeon and Levi will have nothing to call their own, nothing to protect themselves, nothing to provide for themselves. They are cursed forever to be helpless wanderers dependent on the good nature of others. But within this punishment, there is a blessing. And it's a blessing that becomes clear as we look at the history of the tribes of Simeon and Levi. In dispersing Simeon and Levi, Jacob takes away their power and he breaks the cycle of violence. Simeon and Levi, as history progresses, will find that God's promises are sure, even for those who do not have anything to call their own. In Exodus 32, the tribe of Levi is given the order of the priesthood. The tribe of Levi, even though they had no inheritance, even though they had no land, became set apart for the Lord. And so the punishment that their father Jacob had placed on them turned out to be a blessing in disguise, a blessing for the whole people of Israel, because their dispersal meant that there was no corner of the promised land that did not have good teachers to teach people about the law of God, to teach people about his covenant. The Levites were spread throughout the 12 tribes, and it was their duty to teach the people of Israel God's law. Their punishment became their defining feature as a people set apart for God. And the tribe of Simeon, far from wandering helplessly, also finds grace. In Joshua 19, we're told that the tribe of Simeon was given a portion of the land of Judah because Judah's portion was more than enough. So the tribe of Simeon was preserved and provided for through the generosity, through the grace of the tribe of Judah, who gave them what they did not deserve, who treated them as equals, even though they had done nothing to earn it. And I think that this is a really neat parallel to the reality that we find ourselves in today. We are like Simeon and Levi. We've all sinned. We've all offended the honor of God and we deserve to be cut off from his presence. But through the grace that comes from the tribe of Judah, from the lion 
of Judah. From Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our sins are forgiven, they're wiped away, they're forgotten, and we're restored to the glory that God intended for us as he adopts us as children of God and co-heirs of Christ. Like the tribe of Judah's gift to Simeon, God in Christ forgets our sins and offers us a place of honor in his family, breaking the cycle of violence that can control our lives and restoring us to a position of knowing God as our father, being a part of his family. And like Levi, we're called to be a special people set apart for God, dispersed throughout the world to bring the word of God to the ends of the earth. God calls us to a special task as his church, the task of bringing the good news of the gospel to all peoples through our deeds and through our words. So in more ways than one, the story of Simeon and Levi is our story. It's the story of our spiritual ancestors, but it's also the story of us. From the spiral of violence where we had profaned the promises of God and broken his covenant, God rescued us through his grace and adopted us into his family, giving us an inheritance that will never fail, appointing us to a special task of teaching the whole world about God's covenant with his people. And all of this through the tribe of Judah, through the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen.